0: Welcome to this week's episode of The Thirteenth Floor. I am Cece.
1: I'm Alex with a cough drop in his mouth, hopefully not clicking on his teeth too much. I'm James.
0: Yeah, Alex's allergies are, they're up, they're bramped up. Me real too. Bad. You too, James? Yeah. No, oh, you poor little blessed babies. <laughs>
1: like three, oh man, there it is. I'm sorry, listener, I'm going to try to not do that. Um, but it's going to be like three, four days of this, and it's like, mm. it's not fun
0: but Alex bought an electric kettle, James. So mm. he's been drinking the heck out of some tea,
1: yeah. Mm. some
0: local honey. Good deal. Yeah, It's
1: been good stuff.
0: James, but that got me thinking, cause I know that you were like a tea snob.
2: Mm.
0: What are your thoughts on electric kettles? Do you think- Oh, oh just-
2: they're great. Um, they're okay. not as efficient here as they are in Europe because of the weird voltage difference, but they're still great, yeah.
0: I'm glad to hear that, James, because for some reason I just pictured somebody giving you a <laughs> cup of tea from an electric kettle and you sticking your nose up and saying,
2: No, this will not. No, <laughs> hot water's hot water. Hot <laughs> oh, water's hot water.
0: For a while before we had our kettle, I would just boil it on the stove. That's even. what I do, even now. Hey, yeah. James, I'm so glad that you and I see eye to eye on so many things. <laughs> What's been going on in your life other than allergies, James?
2: Uh, just just very busy and uh, I finally got a plant a fake plant for chai to climb on and currently she's not
1: doing anything with it. <laughs> but I will.
2: She
0: just <laughs> she doesn't appreciate it, James.
1: I guess no. Maybe she just thinks it's a decoration to start to be trifled with. Yeah. yeah. Maybe.
0: <laughs> we don't have anything exciting going on in our lives other than the electric kettle, but <laughs> you know what excites me a lot though?
2: Our, our hearty, hearty hellos. hellos.
0: Our hearty hellos. That. Let me pull up my Okay, one second. I was not prepared.
1: I got a haircut today. Is that exciting for all of our uh-huh. audio listeners?
0: He went from looking like a like he had a little curly afro to uh-huh. looking like he's got a little. Uh, it's just a little wavy. <laughs> James, when your hair grows out, does it is it straight or does it get curly?
2: It's uh, it's wavy. If it grows long enough it go it like does that Farrah Fawcett thing where it's like waves, like whoosh. You know, um, that's, oh, yeah.
0: that's popular, yeah. James. I think that you should like let that happen. Yeah. Okay.
2: That is popular right now. I'm seeing it's like the seventies. Like I'm seeing
1: dudes with like the that kind of hair. So it's
0: very handsome, James.
1: Yeah. Hey, if you say Wait, so. Believe it yeah, or not, bro. I saw a young kid today get his hair cut and he left his mullet. Oh, yeah. That's super popular right now. Yeah. All of you with mullets, I'll help you cut them off. No.
0: I think, listen, my thoughts on mullet is that-
1: They are awesome in the 80s. That's about it. Yeah.
0: I think that I'm, if you can rock a mullet and you enjoy a mullet, then you should go for it.
2: Yeah. Because- Well, I don't, I don't despise mullets on men, but I see otherwise rather pretty women with mullets now. And it's like, what are you doing? Like I, I associate, no offense, all you ladies with mullets out there, but <laughs> I associate it with kind of like you know, like pigeon ladies and, and lunatics. Uh, oh and and <laughs> so when I see like a twenty-year-old yeah. girl with a mullet, I'm like, what's going on here?
0: I think that you know what everyone should do what they want. Sure. With their
1: the hair. only person that could pull off a mullet, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. The only people that can pull off a mullet, they have to be jacked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually I agree, have a jet. because then you see him and you go, "I don't care what you do, because you could beat me up." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that Patrick Swayze. If someone, someone
0: can pull off a mullet to me, that just says that person lives a party lifestyle. You know what I mean? Same thing mm-hmm. with a the mustache. They don't care. Alex.
2: Like if you if you're mm-hmm. Jack and you have a mustache, you're a cop. If you're scrawny and you have a mustache, you're a child molester. <laughs>
1: Five. It oh, does, It does. It does give that vibe. If I'm being perfectly honest, you guys yeah. are awful. It does. Listen, listen, vibe. listen.
0: Our hearty hellos have been derailed. <laughs> derailed.
1: We're giving the we're giving wonderful hair advice. No, you
0: guys, you guys need to just pay attention to your own hair. James needs to grow his out so I can see the fair faucet swoop. And other than that, everybody, do what you want.
1: With I'm sorry hair. if I offended anyone with my mullet comments. J- Joe Dirt is an American hero. <laughs> All right. If, if you yes.
2: have a mullet, we we don't. Uh, we we still want you to listen. We just think less of you. <laughs> 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 All
3: right.
0: Party hellos. You know what? I'm just gonna say hello to everyone in the world. I feel like you guys have offended so many of our listeners, possibly, <laughs> potentially. That I'm not even going to zero in on a specific place. I'm just going to give high fives and hellos to literally everyone around the world. Everyone who is listening. Because, listen, it doesn't matter where you're listening. I appreciate you here, regardless of your hairstyle.
1: We do, too. Mm. Me and James do, too. Yeah, They're yeah.
0: just making jokes.
1: We just like to make fun. Oh,
0: my gosh. All right, you guys. Um... <laughs> Let's see, what's on the what's on the docket for Patreon this week, James?
1: Uh, <laughs> you don't, any listen. any more attacks on listeners? You guys know this
0: is the thing. Where where would you guys be without me? Without me saying, Hey, you guys, this is what we're doing this week. Or me yeah. drawing from the vase. We'd still
1: be railing on people about their haircuts.
0: <laughs> okay, so you guys, this week on our Patreon, for all of our amazing Patreon subscribers. We are going to have some information about some spooky, ooky fashion trends that are just, like, really, really bizarre throughout history. The Winnie the
1: Pooh look is especially <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> Alex,
0: that accompanying with all it
1: probably would be pretty
0: <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> 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 and then we also have a Halloween bonus episode. And our Halloween bonus, we're actually going to be talking about some cursed objects. Ooh, so nice. um, stay tuned for that. It's going to be lots of fun. And pretty great. So, yeah, uh, James, you know, we haven't even really introduced our topic. What topic are we talking about today? We're talking about
2: Manchurian candidates.
0: Yes, and this topic was submitted to us by Charlie. I think it's Charlie L. Yeah, Charlie L. So thank you for submitting this topic. James, what's our icebreaker?
2: Um, Yeah, that one was like a tough one because, you know, we're dealing with brainwashing. And so I thought about it and this is this is a really weird one. If you could it's I'm, I'm going eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. If you could go to a place and have certain moments of your past just completely erased from your mind, would you do it? No. no. Oh my god, me too. I thought this was going to be one of those things where we like discussed it. <laughs> it was just like no, no.
0: No, yeah, no, no, I
2: agree no. though. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I would want to maintain those those memories because mm. I feel like even memories, like if they're bad memories, they still help turn you into the person that you become. Yeah,
2: I, actually, like, you know what? I'm reversing position. Just the really little cringy ones that'll keep me up at night. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh,
0: I know. And yeah, that was actually going to be one of the subjects of my James Explains It All Patreon uh, um, topics. I wanted to know what is it that. What creates those cringe worthy moments where you're just like, you know, where do they come from? Because I do, I have those occasionally. I'll just be lying in bed and then yeah. all of a sudden I'll remember something that I did N- like Neuroticism. Seven years ago.
2: That's what creates <laughs> It's awful. It's
0: awful. But still, you know what? I wouldn't even get rid of those because yeah. those helped me not do those things again uh-huh. later on. So oh my gosh,
1: Louise's ears are yeah, I heard it. Louise don't. Oh my gosh. She's like. Getting ready to dance on the on the hardwood with her nails. We did get her
0: nails trimmed, though, but it's still like... Tick, 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 tick. Here, you ready to hear it?
1: She's <laughs> just waiting until we start actually like going into the yeah, She
0: wants to interrupt <laughs> us. But I think that, you know what, with that, I, it was a very short icebreaker this this time. Yeah, wow, she was. We spent right? so much of our time talking about mullets. Yeah, I
1: mean, if you uh, but if you erase one of those things that you, like you kind of mentioned it earlier, but you would be fundamentally changing your personality, probably. Yeah. Mm. And would it be for the better or worse? Interesting. Did those bad moments make you better?
0: I That's what I think. Mm. It's like, you know, when I said something really embarrassing to somebody once, and I'm just like, I dwelled on it for years. I'm still dwelling on it.
1: Mm. You never asked a stupid question again.
0: I never did it again. Yeah. So There we go. Lesson learned. But James, I think you're starting us off today with the Manchurian Candidate episode. You're just going to kind of talk about what Manchurian Candidates are, right? Yep. All right, go.
2: So, in order to explain it better, I thought I would use two metaphors first. Um, So, everybody's familiar with checkers and chess, I think. Um, When you're playing checkers and chess with somebody, (laughs) let's just say chess because I don't want to like alternate back and forth. Uh, Let's say you're playing chess with somebody. The person you are playing against has complete and utter control over their decisions. But if you do certain things to affect how they make decisions, you can influence them and as such influence the outcome of the game to your benefit and to their detriment. But what if there was a way, if you were playing chess, if you could actually get one of the pieces on their team to do things that are in your best interest and not theirs, it would be a very, very, very different game. And similarly, uh, I, I like to point out the metaphor for the Trojan horse. You know, Troy, according to the story, they opened their gates to accept a gift, assuming it was just a big wooden horse, but inside were men from People. Greece. Yeah, were Greek soldiers. And I want you to consider the possibility that what if you could, you know, instead fill a, a, a Trojan horse that was already being built within the city gates with Trojans who, for whatever reason, actually serve Greece, it would not be a very different war. It would be a very different uh, tactical scenario. So, a Manchurian Canada is basically a politician within their own country, which is, you know, every every politician who's not like a diplomat or ambassador. Uh, but they have been brainwashed in such a way that now they are serving the interests of a foreign country. So what you've really done is you've taken someone who has power within a nation and you have subverted their will in order to benefit yours. That's pretty much what it is. And it goes a little further than that. In a lot of accounts, the chief goal of said Maniturian candidate is actually to subvert the ideologies and cultures within that country So that even though they're not actually brainwashing people, they are altering the culture and the perception of the people in that nation in such a way that it benefits another nation altogether. Which I think we could argue is pretty much been the past 150 years of American government. But, you know, depends on how you ask.
3: (laughs) (laughs) right.
1: And, uh... I was—it was funny while I was doing my research. I was coming across articles that came up about every four to two years about how each president is a Manchurian candidate. Uh, it's like you know, you see the ones for Trump, you see the ones for Obama, you see the ones for Bush, and they just kept going back further and further. Oh yeah, constantly. Articles it's, about how they're the Manchurian candidate.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's the same thing as what I like to call pin the tail on the Antichrist. Every single politician with any clout could be, should be, totally is the Antichrist. <laughs> if you ask the right person, so yeah. yeah. Um, but, but the way that it works, and I hope I don't step on any toes, because w- what we're covering there's a lot of overlap. But it's this idea that you can brainwash somebody of power without their knowledge in such a way that certain subconscious cues lead to certain behaviors, and we see this with hypnotism. You know, the whole point of hypnotism is what's what's happening is the hypnotist is planting a positive seed in your mind where you're you're substituting a good behavior which you asked for for a bad one. Now, the difference is if you're hypnotized, you never do something that you actually don't want to do. It has to be something that you actually consent to. A lot of people don't know that, but you have to want whatever you're hypnotized for. Whereas in Manchurian candidate theories, that's not necessarily the case. Somebody could be completely against their will, just psychologically broken down and put in a state where they are extremely susceptible to influence and suggestion, and what ultimately happens is they they end up working for a completely different sphere of influence than the one that they were previously loyal to. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm very skeptical of the capacity for that in the movies, the way it's portrayed, but I'm actually very, very open to, in fact, I would say I'm realistically in agreement with the fact that there are a lot of ways that it can be done. And I will probably chime in on you all's to add supplemental information uh,
1: with regard to that. Sounds
0: good, James. He has a
1: passion for it.
0: He does have a passion for lots of things. (laughs) I bet he's working on
1: making his own. I bet he's already (laughs) done it
0: to all of us. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, You guys just don't know. Caterpillar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Cow. Wow. <laughs> um, when did Manchurian candidates become like a thing?
2: Um, really? I mean, there were theories about this back during the, the Reds Under the Bed scare, um, which even that I would argue is a form of subversion. Reds Under the Bed scare is, is actually a form of cultural brainwashing to make people overlook the very real fact that there were. But uh, the big origin, though, of it was a film of that very name. Um, And it was a really interesting and scary film. It was in 1962, which was really – it was like when the the Cold War was heating up a lot. Um, And interestingly enough, even though political theory (laughs) – political theories – political thrillers existed way, 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 way before this, it's probably the most famous and most influential political thriller ever made. Uh, I mean, uh, you see – Pop culture references to this everywhere. I mean, I, I, I distinctly remember, and Alex, I am sure you remember the uh, Venture Brothers episode where you know that one, <laughs> that, that little yeah. like, yeah, yeah. There you go.
0: I remember I had to watch that movie for a film class a long time ago, mm-hmm. and I didn't appreciate it at the time because I was just a stupid high schooler. Mm-hmm. But,
1: anyways, I've never seen the original. I saw the remake with. Oh wow! Leave
0: Schreiber. Is that you say his name? Leave Schreiber.
1: Schreiber. Shre- I Whatever. I Schreiber, but yeah.
0: Um, I could be wrong. Okay, is it my turn? Yeah. yeah. James, that was the shortest bit. Yeah. That I think I,
2: again, can. I'm gonna I'm gonna be playing back and forth on you guys a lot. Well,
0: well I'm talking about brainwashing tactics, <laughs> and I got a lot of my information today from SmithsonianMag.com. And then also, I found something on CIA.gov. It's called The Search for the Manchurian Candidate. The CIA and Mind Control and while John you were, Marks.
1: And while you were there, they put you on a watch list. Oh, they sure <laughs> did. They sure did.
0: But today, I am going to be talking about some different brainwashing tactics that could result in the creation of a Manchurian candidate, so to Ooh. speak. Because again, this is something we've all seen in movies. Alex, when you think of somebody becoming a Manchurian candidate, how do you picture it occurring?
1: Um, Hypnosis Drugs Over a, a period of time
0: Over a period of time I personally picture Like the victim You know tied to a chair With their eyes Being forced to open They have to watch
2: Oh yeah a Visual orange. images
0: <laughs> Yeah It's just creepy And then there's that trigger word That James mentioned Where it's just like They hear it And they're just like Okay I'm ready for my mission
1: Dingo, Dingo. Someone just got triggered oh. And became a The next president
0: <laughs> Alright well that tactic that I just mentioned is an extreme form of brainwashing that's like coupled with isolation. And I found an article that I read <laughs> uh, about how it supposedly works, how brainwashing supposedly works on science.howstuffworks.com. Oh. It, they taught us all about
1: it. I love how it's howstuffworks.com.
0: Yeah, well, the victim apparently has to be isolated because people start to go a little cuckoo when they're in forced isolation. Because humans are obviously, by nature, very, very social creatures. So yeah. when people are forced to be alone, their minds just kind of get all out of whack. And then they might be a little bit more pliable. You know what I
2: mean? Yeah. I mean, that's literally why like the most extreme thing that prisons do to punish uh, very antisocial, about which I, I mean, not averse to socializing, but, but misbehaving prisoners is isolation because it's very effective. I mean, hardened criminals who... Uh, seem to have an absolute hatred for everyone around them and uh, behave with abject cruelty to others. Some of them, you put them in isolation and they are sobbing by the end of the day, begging to be taken out.
0: They don't like it. So anyways, you get this person all alone. They start to get a little kooky. But the next thing that the person who's like, it's called the agent that is trying to brainwash somebody they basically start ripping apart your self-identity mm. and they dismantle your self-perception by telling you that you are not who you think you are. You said make a you feel,
1: Freudian slip. I liked it. What? <laughs> dis- they dismantle. Dismantle. It says dismantle, but it's all mental what? stuff. I like it.
0: <laughs> well, they make you feel guilty about you thinking that you are, you know, somebody and they kind of like torture you. And this can carry on for days, weeks or longer. And then they get to this part. The next part, after they've broken you down enough, they get you to agree with them that, oh, I'm not a good person. I'm I'm a you know, bad mm, person. You start right. to question your who you are. And then next they offer you salvation. Right. This is why yes. cults
2: are so good at being cults.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know, you know how you can fix this? You can fix this by coming over to the good side, to our side. And you're just like, okay, if it's going to make me a good person, then I'll do it. And so <laughs> that's how they kind of get people to throw away their identity and ideals in exchange for alternate ones. But it's typically accompanied with some form of torture, obviously. Not that right. brainwashing itself wouldn't be a form of torture if you start right. to think about it. But if you've got somebody that wants to basically monkey around with somebody's brain, they've got to be an evil, evil person. Right. You know, like a man tree in Canada, a little puppet to do their bidding.
2: Well, one very effective way that torture works is usually the person who is providing salvation is not the same person doing the torture. So it's a very ramped up version of good cop, bad cop, where the person who's giving these suggestions to you that you don't have a personality is seen in a very positive light. They're, they're the person who comes into the room when, the torture stops. They're the person who makes the pain stop. They're the person who says, Hey, hey, what are you doing? Stop what you're doing. Go get this guy a glass of water. Look at him. He's 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 hurting, he's thirsty. I am so sorry about that. And so what ends up happening is they start having a positive association with whatever claims are being planted in their mind. And then conversely, the negative experiences are making them more malleable and open to the next session. So it's, it's kind of funny that torture is horrible and painful, but what makes it effective is not the stick, but the carrot that follows. Mm.
0: <sighs> That's dark, James. It sure is. Well, personality supposedly plays a really big part as to whether somebody can become a Manchurian candidate, so to speak. Or just be brainwashed in general. If somebody mm-hmm. has really low self-esteem to begin with, then you might not have to work as hard to like break somebody to the point where they have no confidence and they start mm-hmm. to question who they are. If they have low self-esteem already, that wouldn't be quite as difficult. But again, this, is, this type of brainwashing is something that hasn't been carried out at least in a documented way because mm-hmm. – Hello, human blink, ethics.
1: Blink, blink, blink. It's not ethical <laughs> exactly. to be human.
0: Yeah, I. But I would not put it past some government agencies out there around the world to be, you know, doing this off the books and testing it.
2: Yeah, um, absolutely.
0: Yeah, because then we have to stop and think about MK Ultra. Yeah, uh, and that was all off the books, and its whole goal was to basically figure out how to control the minds of people. They did, a, you know, through hypnosis and through drugs yeah. and various other things. Yeah. So
2: speaking of which, I mean, scoplamine, if you're not going to bring that up, I, I think that is one of the most terrifying potential ways to create a Manchurian candidate. Or, or either you going to talk about scoplamine?
0: Nope. No, tell me. about. Okay. Sc- I have some other drugs that I'll just briefly mention, but okay. scopolamine's not on the list. Yes.
2: Yeah, the CIA has been accused of using scoplamine, but nobody knows for absolute sure, <laughs> because again, ethics and, and, you know, covering any evidence to the contrary. But uh, NASA, for example, has actually made a uh, compound called uh, Scopdex, which is a very lazy name for just scoplamine and dexedrine. And what's interesting about that is, It's used for a very, very harmless reason. It actually reduces motion sickness. And when you're doing reduced gravity training, motion sickness is one of the biggest issues. (coughs) Bear in mind, though, this is a very low dose. Scoplamine, on the other hand, in higher doses... Can be used as an interrogation tool because it's kind of like a truth serum. You ask somebody a question, and no matter what, they don't really have any willpower at that point, so they just tell you their pin number and and you know where the files are hidden and all that, which is great if you're you know you've captured a spy <laughs> for the enemy and you want in, intel. But what's more frightening is very high doses, because very high doses means that somebody's. Individuality, at least temporarily, is just gone. And it's very easy to slip into someone's drink, and and afterwards they don't recall the events in question. So we've seen this, for example, in a lot of human trafficking cases where people are sort of – we've talked about zombie powder, for example, and having slaves. Well, a lot of slaves uh, around the world are being given scoplamine. Um, That's why they actually call it the devil's breath. And they actually warn people in certain countries that if somebody hands you a business card, don't take it because devil's breath, aka supplement, can be actually powdered and placed on the business card in very small amounts. You know, when I was talking earlier about small doses, we're talking about really, really tiny concentrations of this stuff because it's quite powerful. So what can happen is if, if you are inhaling or ingesting this drug, either way, it gets in your system. Um, with, depending on the concentration, you can become very childlike and manipulatable uh, to a, to a degree that you're just gonna do whatever you're told so long as it's in your system
0: See things like that make me never want to travel outside my city uh. Ugh. okay well, I think James if we go back to our episode where we actually talked about MK Ultra, mm. and I think it was called wash your brain it was ages ago it was like two years ago you guys yeah we it's weird about to think brainwashing. About. Um, but if you want a deeper dive on MK ultra, definitely go back and listen to the episode, but MK ultra, just in case you haven't heard of it, or, you know, you don't know that much about it. It was an experiment that started way back in 1953. And that sole purpose was to study quote, the use of biological and chemical materials and altering human behavior. And that is per CIA director Stansfield Turner in 1977 after the, top secret set of experiments was outed. The CIA knew what they were doing was abusive because they hid all of it for fear of negative public response. And most of the subjects were unwitting or unaware that they were part of experiment. Like they did it to homeless drug addicts, uh, children, sex workers, Mm, terminally ill patients, basically people that they thought were below them and that they also thought wouldn't be missed if they were just suddenly to go missing and not survive anything. But they the only reason that we know that MKUltra even happened is because they were not successful in destroying all the paperwork associated with it because they tried to go through and de- delete everything, mm. shred it all. But for some reason, they missed some of the docs. And in I think it was 1973 when people like finally heard about it. The thing that gets me is that the Nuremberg Code had been laid out well before these experiments took place. And if you're listening and are not sure what the Nuremberg Code is, it's an ethical code that was established after I think it was World War II, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The Nazi scientists who carried out horrific experiments on their victims in "quote unquote" the name of science, uh, they were all put on trial in Germany. Most showed no remorse for the crimes uh, that they did, and at the end of the trial, the judges devised a code that must be followed with scientific research. The main points being that the subjects must voluntarily consent to the experiment which was not occurring with MK Ultra. the mm. experiment should yield fruitful results for the good of society that can be obtained in no other way I,
2: I don't yeah I, I find that one that's the most disturbing to me because that, that there's so many ways to interpret that it's basically a loophole that says just kidding guys <laughs> I mean it's yeah. pretty much what that statement is to me
0: yeah well the researchers also should not conduct tests where death or serious injury might occur except perhaps, when the supervising doctors also serve as subjects. See? And I know that they, they did test some of their own doctors unwittingly right. exactly. with the stuff. But they had no idea. They weren't consenting to it. So that's what I think mm. is so interesting. And when they were testing some of the drugs, I read that one of the people said that he would basically give a laced cigarette to people. They would get high as a kite or you know, go a little mad And then it was so effective that they were like, oh, this stuff really works. It was LSD maybe. But then the person who was like in charge of that experiment said nobody would take a cigarette from him after that ever again. (laughs) I knew. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. But it's (laughs) messed up. So anyways, but when it comes to the topic of this episode that we're talking about, maturing candidates, um, I apologize. I kind of went off on an angry rant there. It just makes me so mad. I got yeah. really mad doing this research, James, just because I hadn't thought about MKL in a while.
3: Mm. But
0: um, they also wanted to see if it could improve the efficacy of hypnosis. So, you yeah. know, they were definitely trying to figure mm-hmm. out how they could turn somebody into a little weapon.
2: Yeah, it's, it's mortifying. You know, ethics in war is something that I think for the most part we... We use as a way to show an us versus them mindset, and that goes all the way back to like prima noctum, you know, in in the Middle Ages. We even see it now, like Braveheart lied. and used Primo Noctum to, to make be the argument for why William Wallace rebelled, which is not the case at all. Um, but Primo Noctum was what means first night, by the way. And what lords would tell their serfs is, oh, you think I'm rough on you guys. Like the lord next day over, you know, the the, the other lord that you're thinking about moving to. Uh yeah, he like uh, plows your wives uh, when you marry him, like first night. That's he calls a noctum. and it was used to create this this illusion that like, oh my gosh, like the guy who's in charge of us isn't so bad after all. And in all of our conflicts, that's sort of the argument. Like it's always those other people they they kill women and children, and they they will stop at nothing. They just do awful, 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 awful things. But really, those rules of ethics they're they're not actually followed. Nobody's nobody's actually playing nice in war. And we're, we're breaking all those rules all the time, regardless of what we say.
0: It's messed up. It makes me yeah. really sad. But there is one last thing I want to talk about today with regards to brainwashing. And it's something that has probably definitely happened to every person listening to this podcast right mm. now. And that is gaslighting. Ah. Oh, yes. It is the manipulation of a person where the abuser tries to make the victim question their own Thoughts and memories and perceptions. Yeah. And it can be, you know, in a personal relationship or in a working relationship or it, you know, or
1: by your government or the media.
0: Yeah, you know, we have huge <laughs> examples like the government or media. Um, but usually the abusers have a narcissistic type of personality
1: or by yeah. your government and the media. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but if you stop to think about it, gaslighting really could be considered a type of brainwashing tactic because you're trying to psychologically alter the thoughts of another person. Right. And in a personal relationship, for example, the abuser might do something that is mean or cruel. And then when you stand up for yourself, they'll tell you that you're being too sensitive. Right. Uh, you know, to try to invalidate your feelings and make you wonder, am I in the wrong? Am I being too sensitive? Mm-hmm. When in reality, it is them that did something wrong to you.
2: Right, and oh. and what's you've touched on something really interesting because gaslighting dovetails with Manchurian candidates because even though gaslighting is probably not used to create said Manchurian candidate, the whole point of creating one is so that they can gaslight the country and have it slowly shift until it's ideologically, culturally, or psychologically similar to a host nation, the the one that's doing the Manchurian candidacy, or weakened to a point where it's not going to resist a physical invasion from said country.
0: Well, on a larger scale, let's take what's kind of going on right now, the pandemic. And I vividly remember at the very beginning of all this happening, you know, we were supposed to stay home six feet apart, wear our masks. And there was a story about business owners who were coming together to protest. Mm you know, not being able to have livelihoods because everything that they had was basically taken down. People did not have money. They could not afford to pay for their Mm -hmm. food or, you know, support their families because they were being forced to stay at home. So they came together. And I remember the media made a big, huge to do about it. Like, look at these awful people. They're coming together. They're spreading, you know what? Mm -hmm. Um, And for what? It's because they're being selfish. They just want to go to work. Like, all you have to do is stay home. And I remember thinking, that's not fair. But then there were also some other protests that were going on at the exact same time. And it was a completely different, you know, media Mm -hmm. take on the entire thing. It was, go, go, go. We need more of this. Right. And it's not, I'm not saying that the things that were being fought for weren't important. They
1: weren't treated the same in terms of their, the spread of, you know, what, of, you know, what, uh, wasn't treated the same. And it was used as a, as a tool. Depending on the situation. Yeah.
0: When you Just do two that.
1: Flat that curve.
0: <laughs> Just two weeks. And I, I really do. I have a ton of examples when it comes to politics. I'm not going to dive into those because I'd like to remain neutral within mm-hmm. this realm. But decontextualizing or omitting important aspects of a story is... Um, those are you know, a form of gaslighting in, in a, a way because you can mm-hmm. mess with the mind of a person and it's you're just giving them half a story. Right. And then when you give somebody half a story and you say, oh, look what this person just said. They're a terrible person. Wow. That can get people so angry and riled up that it radicalizes them to this point where it's like, no matter wh- if even if they have evidence, oh no, this is what the full clip sounded like. This is the full soundbite. They're still so radicalized to the point where if you give them that, they don't believe it's real.
3: Right. Cognitive
0: mm-hmm. dissonance kicks in and they cannot they physically cannot accept it because it goes against everything that they believe in now. Yeah.
3: Right. But
0: the media they are mana- <laughs> they are master manipulators. Yeah. And we actually have a Patreon episode where we dive more into my own experience having worked in the news and kind of how how things are used, how they use news to gaslight people. But Anyways, I'm going to get off my soapbox. This topic again just made me really, really angry <laughs> and frustrated to just think about all of the things that are happening all yeah. around the world when you Even even the voice it.
2: that's used uh, can influence the way we think of a story. You know, whether if, if if a story reads man shot by, you know, adjective noun, then you immediately think of the adjective noun in that story as a perpetrator and is possibly guilty, whether they are or not. On the flip side, sure. if you say, um, oh, sorry, I said it backwards, <laughs> a man shot by, you think of the man as the victim and you don't think about the perpetrator. Whereas if you put adjective noun shoots noun, you're going to think of adjective noun as a perpetrator. So whether you think of someone as a recipient and you just focus on that, or whether you think about the a uh, person who's taking action in that story, it largely depends on the voice that's used. And that's something I, I do all the time with with copywriting is, is whether I want something to be an active or passive voice plays an enormous role in how it's received and interpreted.
0: Well, all yeah. you have to do is also change – all you have to do is change one word in a headline to sensationalize it. Like that sure. happened all the time. There are some words that we – associate as being more strong and powerful than other words. Right. Like when you say, oh, you know, a barn caught on fire. Uh, If you were to put barn turns into an inferno, people are going to picture very different things. Well, rally something that we used all the time.
2: I just thought of that one rally. Uh, Whenever I've noticed that if uh, whoever sponsors the media, if they benefit from a protest, it's a protest. Whereas if they don't benefit from a protest, it's a rally. Because when yep. people think of the word rally, they think of like the Ku Klux Klan. Or, and so the term rally has a more negative connotation. Ah, yeah, yeah,
0: But yeah, no, there's there's a lot out there. And it's the thing about all of this is that I feel like it's, at least right now, it, no matter what side you're on, if you are on a side, they always think it's the other side that's doing it. But the fact of the matter is, Both sides are doing this. Absolutely. Both sides know how to use these tactics to Mm -hmm. make you think a certain way. The
2: people you think are enemies play golf together.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You need to be really, really careful, and you really need to vet all of the information that you're reading, no matter where it comes from, because there is always somebody that is going to benefit from you thinking a certain way. But anyways, again, I'm off my soapbox. You said Mm that a while ago.
1: Alex. Hopefully you climbed back on.
0: I did. I I climbed (laughs) back on. Alex – what are you talking about today?
1: Yeah. I'm talking about someone who in our country's history, they weren't really a Manchester Maturian candidate, but they were <laughs> someone who went through a similar process, likely. What? Yeah. Ooh. So if you can't make a maturian candidate, maybe you gotta take out said candidate. What? I'm talking about <laughs> the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. Uh-oh. Ah, uh, ta-
0: I talked about this a little bit, didn't I?
1: I don't think so.
0: No, mm-hmm. I feel like no. Okay, no, go on, go oh, on, go on.
1: Did you? Oh, you mean no. in a previous episode?
0: I just mentioned. I didn't talk it nearly to the extent that I know you are but
1: Still on
2: that soapbox,
1: goodness. Yeah, still on it. (laughs) Um, Oh my right, I I just wanted to give a big shout out to the Washington Post for their article, The Assassination of Bobby Kennedy. Was uh, Saran Saran hypnotized to be the Fog Guy? Question mark. They had a really great article on all of this uh, information about the whole situation. But first off, I didn't really have any idea that there was a conspiratorial aspect to the assassination of Bobby Kennedy, but... I probably should have known better because every assassination has conspiracies tied to it.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess we'll start at the beginning of the ordeal with Bobby Kennedy and Saran Saran. In 1966, Saran Saran, he's about 22 years old, living with his mom and some of his other family. And, you know, he's kind of a middle road guy. He's supposed to be pretty ho-hum. Um, he is traumatized by the death of his sister to cancer. And he, apparently this guy was, he's been investigating Saron Saron's history uh, after the assassination. Probably, I think it was in the seventies. He really started looking into it. But um, so Daniel P Brown started looking into Saron Saran and he's, and he's talked to him a whole bunch since then. And really gotten to dig deep into his history and come up with some pretty interesting theories of his own. And so Brown said in an interview that Saran turned to hypnosis after his uh, sister died as a way to explore death. Hmm. Um, And he also went and worked at this horse track as well afterwards where he was a stable boy where he wanted to be a jockey. That was kind of his end goal. Because he's a pretty small guy. He's like 5'5", 120 pounds.
0: He's
1: teeny. So he's a a small guy. He can maybe become a jockey. And so, Saran, you know, he's got a couple other hobbies, too. He he dabbles in shortwave radios that he's got at home. So he's a busy guy. He's got things that he likes to do. Now, Brown found that Saran was recruited to this private ranch for uh, thoroughbreds to ride horses there. And even though Saran had no experience riding, he very quickly experienced falls from these horses and required hospitalization. So he had no experience. He got hired at this ranch and was immediately falling off these things and having to go to the hospital. A little strange. His family um, did Report that after those incidents where he had been falling, Ron did seem to have changed.
0: Did he like bit. hit his head? I just think it's odd that he had no experience and somebody was like, here, hop on this horse. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. He, 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 worked at a, uh, he worked at a stable that he didn't ride horses and he just kind of cleaned up. But then he got hired somewhere else and they're like, hey, ride these horses.
0: All right. So he yeah. was like racing Well, I don't
1: them. know if he was racing them. I didn't ask him. We didn't talk. (laughs) Um, But they said that he changed. And so, Brown interviewed Saran. And this is where things get a little odd. But Brown thinks that Saran may have been drugged and taken to some secret locations for maybe some experiments. uh, That were probably performed by someone like, oh, I don't know, the CIA maybe they, they may have had a history of doing horrible things at this time to their mm. own people saran so and his family both reported that after one of his falls that he was gone for 2 weeks his That's family a long and him he's gone for 2 weeks the hospital reported him being discharged in one day
0: where did he go so mm. he's
1: missing 13 days of history, no one knows what where he was or anything like that. That's so, messed up. yeah, so pretty bizarre. And then Saran told Brown that he thinks he that he kind of remembers being held in a room, uh, with bars on the windows and he recalled being disoriented, floating in and out of consciousness, but pretty much sleeping the whole time. <sighs> now. And here's a, here's a quote from Brown that he wrote in 2011. Mr. Saran doesn't describe typical post-concussive symptoms, but rather symptoms consistent with drug intoxication. Saran's spotty memory gives the impression of someone who was drugged, treated for superficial wounds at the emergency room, and then possibly taken to a special experimental unit where his and other patients' responses to drug and hypnotic programming were observed. <sighs> Now, Brown also found out another interesting thing, that the ranch operator had ties to the mafia, Hmm. and that the mafia, in turn, had links to the CIA, Yep, like we've talked about before with another Kennedy. Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of that stems from the attempt to kill uh, Cuba's Fidel, Fidel Castro. Now, Saran went and met this guy that was nicknamed the Radio Man, a man who as I mentioned earlier, shared similar interests with Saran. So they had this interest in shortwave radios. And they believe that this radio man, and we'll call it in quotes, was actually a hypnotist. Hmm. And was actually working on the hypnoti- hypnotism side of things as he sat and like went through these things with Saran, just slowly kind of working him over into this, this state, I guess, that, we're, that we've kind of been talking about with the Manchurian Candidate. Uh, or is it Caterpillar? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things after the assassination that was found was a notebook written by Saran in his home. Where he had written many, many times that, like, kill RFK, kill RFK. Like, just written it over and over and like over. Like, he's
0: obsessed
3: with yeah, it. Yeah,
1: and then, like, mm. but then, like, there's a sentence, and then it'll go, of, 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 And it's like, you know, it's crazy. Yeah.
2: yeah, this this screams either a very severe and non-diagnosed case of schizophrenia or brainwashing, and honestly, yeah. I'm inclined to think it's the latter more than the former, which is something, because most cases like this, it's the former.
1: Yeah, it's so, it's so weird, but they think that maybe he was writing these while in a hypnotic state, mm. and so maybe that's why... It was, it was it was done that way and that they were probably communicating over a third party shortwave radio. Hmm.
0: That gives me the creeps.
1: Yeah. yeah. So they're you know, they were they think that he could have been induced into the states over a distance. Remotely. Yeah. So over the next several years or two years, Saran started visiting a firing range. What hmm. could go wrong? I uh, was someone being hypnotized <sighs> by the CIA going to a firing range. So he would go there after, after going to the ranch sometimes. Um, and he would go and shoot targets. Now Brown said they spent hours on the range the same day that he killed Robert Kennedy. <sighs> and Brown said that he actually, so recalled all, the entirety of the day except for the actual assassination. And Saran describes going even to the, he describes going to a different political party victory thing. They like soiree, I guess uh, drinking too much and then going to his car, not feeling well enough to drive. And apparently he returned to the hotel looking for coffee. Now there's a big part of the conspiracy that I think a lot of people probably know, and that is this woman in a polka dot dress. She's supposed to be very attractive. So she's someone that a lot of people there noticed. And they noticed her around him. Hmm. <clears throat> kind of looked out of... Si- uh, uh,
0: out of place. <clears throat> out of
1: place. <clears throat> yes. And he says that one of the last things he remembers is gazing at her. Thinking about how maybe he wanted to, you know, approach her. And then the next thing he remembers is being attacked by all of
0: secret service all the
1: secret are Ser- yeah all all the robert kennedy's men so now we're left in the spot of you know, what what really happened like do we know do we know what happened with robert well they think that they learned some additional details about the lady um her name was uh neil and her husband she met her husband back in 1967 they they had a big old falling out and it's just a mess but they think that if someone was controlling saran how would they have gotten they're wondering like how would they have scheduled all this first off as i mentioned earlier radio man could have sent them in yeah all right and then we've got her showing up neil Going in to probably deliver some sort of message. You know, he's not going to have this radio on him. It, it, I would imagine that thing's probably pretty big.
0: For
3: the time, yeah. You can't
1: walk around with that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so she probably, the idea is maybe she walked over, has some sort of phrase, and allegedly, Saran had this thing that Brown discovered. He found that he was able to trigger Saran into appearing. At a shooting range. And what I mean by that is. He found a way to. Say something. And immediately Saran would stand up. And act like he was firing a gun. Like he was at a. What? At a shooting range. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So a little strange. A little strange. It's like. Is he faking it? Is he not? I don't know. Now. We do need to remember one other thing. Is that Saran did admit. That he killed Kennedy in court. But one of the key things that he says is while he knows that he killed him, he doesn't deny that he killed him. He doesn't remember doing it. Okay. He knows all the evidence is stacked against him. He remembers being pinned to a wall. He remembers all these things happening, but he doesn't remember the actual killing. And I mean, he even seems to think it wouldn't be possible for himself. You know, he's, he's grown up a Christian. This is not his type of thing. He can't imagine ever killing somebody. He wouldn't hurt a fly. And most people seem to agree with that. Now, what's also weird is while Saran is being tackled, some of the people tackling him notice something really strange. They tackle him to the ground, and one of, the, one of those men, men, George Pimpton, says that he actually seemed peaceful. And when they're all striking him down, he says that, that he just he looked into his eyes while they're they got him on the ground, and he's like he just looked completely peaceful, like his eyes were glassed over, and he just wasn't worried about anything
0: what was his like what was his beef against? Bobby Kennedy, was there like anything that was like, okay, far, this is what made him as far angry? As,
1: no, as far as we know, there is no reason for him to ever go after him. Yeah, there's he, no he record wished,
2: of him even criticizing him. That's the crazy yeah, part. He,
1: he was pretty, not even super political. Hmm. Like, he just...
0: Interesting.
1: He had no, he has no motivation, which is why it's so bizarre. Uh-huh. And that's why it's just so weird that this little guy, uh, this... Like I mentioned earlier, five foot, five hundred twenty pound guy is tackled by six Secret Service people. Still able to fire six more bullets off, and it took all of them uh, to tackle him to the ground and rip the gun out of his hand. They said that he had almost like superhuman strength. Hmm. They couldn't believe how this small little guy was fighting off everybody, but it looked peaceful the whole time. <laughs> Right. But Brown says that he—he's you know th- this is his career. He's but he's been uh, hypnotizing people for years. He's been—he's a forty-year c- professional, and after spending sixty hours with Sirhan, that he thinks that he is one of the most easily hypnotizable people he's ever met. Hmm. Wow. And so he thinks he's really easy. He's subject to that. I mean, he's also obviously looked into MK Ultra and seeing th- and those types of things. And apparently, there isn't there was a CIA thing, like as you would expect. They tried to train people with hypnot with hypnosis to kill people, mm-hmm. but really, it's the shooting range mode that ha- that concerns Brown the uh, most. He thinks agreed. it's one of the uh, he thinks it's one of the oddest things. The other thing to really consider when you look at this is this really weird thing about what the witnesses saw at the time. And one of the theories is that he didn't actually shoot anybody. Hmm? The the actual theory is that he was a distraction because there's something really odd about Saran killing Kennedy. And it's that Kennedy was shot in the back of the head. Uh, Saran was in front of him. And a lot of the witnesses there placed Saran in front of him. And that they think that Saran was actually hypnotized to be a distraction while someone else hit him from behind.
0: Is it possible mm. that when Bobby Kennedy saw him coming, he turned around and tried to run the other direction? Yeah, I
1: mean, I mean the idea is that Saran was trained to walk up, do the gun thing, and oh. while he's distracting him, someone pops, him, pops
0: Bobby goodness. in the back. My
1: goodness. Yeah, I was
0: a... Dang.
1: And then in all the commotion, no one catches it.
0: Yeah, that would be pretty scary.
1: Isn't that bizarre? Very bizarre. It's a little hard for me to,
2: to believe just on the grounds that you would think somebody would hear another gunshot and see the well, muzzle flash, but
1: Yeah. Well that's the thing is how many gunshots were there now? He he fired at least. That's six a or good seven. point.
2: That's a good point. That would be deafening,
1: yeah. And in all the chaos, I would imagine it's pretty easy to lose track and yeah. you don't have you know, everything modern now that we take for granted, no video footage, no nothing.
0: I just think about like, it's oh, weird know. to
1: think about. There's no video footage of it. Right. Mm. Yeah. Now, I mean, as you expect, you know, there's a lot of pop culture stuff nowadays about all these types of things. Yeah. Sure. You know, like you said, Manchurian Candidate was the catalyst for a lot of it. You know, we had similar ideas before that, but that really kicked it off. And, you know, we get the remake with Denzel Washington and me and CC even watched Zoolander last night, which is a spin on. <laughs> I knew you were going to reference. Yeah.
0: We <laughs> watched it last night and James, I had forgotten how many cameos are in that movie. It's nuts. It is insane. I got so excited when David Bowie came out. I was like, Oh <laughs> my gosh.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I love the idea of using dimwitted models being used to further diabolical world changing assassinations. Mm. It's awesome, but then you know we, we have other pop culture things that like this kind of reminds me of. That's like uh you know the Winter Soldier with Marvel, oh, I love especially in Civil Wars. War where they like you said James do the butter do like the caterpillar command right? He gives a series <laughs> right. of commands, and they become this like completely other monster almost, right? And it's like him like they said when they were tackling him like just nothing's going on. Mm. His tripping. body is moving, but his brain is like doesn't he's just there. It's right. no one's home. So I think that's kind of what I that scenario in Civil War is what I picture with this is like someone
0: There's a code word.
1: Yeah, like like the lady in the the polka dot dress walks up and goes Fluffer Nutter <laughs> and it all breaks loose.
0: Well, I like when I think about it, I just think about hypnosis. Like, you have to be willing to be hypnotized.
1: Right. So, I yeah. wonder if. Well, the idea, though, is if you induce drugs.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say.
1: Then yeah. that, that changes, changes something things.
0: else going on. Right.
1: And if, so, that's the idea know. is that he was being drugged if anything is said to be true. Now, the problem with Saran and why he's not been able to get free is that him training. And I mean, obviously there's all kinds of evidence all over the place, but him training to be, or learning about hip, hypnotism also lends him to be not an expert, but to be using that as a way to explain what he did, right? Mm. He understands hypnosis, so he can, under, he can make a, he can craft a better story with hypnosis. Mm. Man. Yes.
0: Well. I don't know if I believe it, but
1: I don't know. I don't know if I do either. It's just very strange. It
0: is very strange. Especially that lost time, but <sighs> okay. Well you guys, that was an insane episode. <laughs> is there anything that you guys want to add before we say goodbye?
1: Red furry hairy pajama llama bama. There we go. Alright.
0: <laughs> well, Alex Oh wait, we need to draw. We need to draw. Oh, wait. No, we don't, actually. What? Because next week is our Patreon episode. Oh, right. Oh. Yes, so there's our Patreon-exclusive draw from the Patreon-exclusive vase, and we are going to be talking about the Winchester House, and this topic was submitted to us by Jordan. So, Jordan, thank you so much for reaching out about the Winchester House. We are very excited to chat about that next week, Mm. but Alex... Who does our music?
1: Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find us music on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music.
0: So until next week, you guys, we hope that you can keep
1: keep it
3: straight.